On Living a Sex Positive Life, we explore all aspects of human sexuality. We talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures and the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. We strive to be an advocate and an empowering force in the fight for sexual freedom. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and talk about the touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna. Good evening, everyone. It's Angelique Luna. I'm here with my co-host, husband, partner in crime, troublemaker. We have a couple things up our sleeve. John C. Luna. <laughs> I get lots of titles there. I'm the guy who's really, really loving an upcoming Christmas vacation. It has been a hell of a year. <laughs> to say the least. So, of course, I had to pick a really fun topic. It's actually a charity. It's a Face of a Feminist. So, Face of a Feminist empowers women and girls through a video series and other motivational events. It's a nonprofit 501c charity, which was created by Orlando radio celebrity personality, Laura Diaz. And I love her bio. This woman is just amazing because she's a strong woman who's not afraid to speak up and speak out has a passion for feminism and anything that empowers women and girls born and raised in orlando definitely a rare breed because i haven't seen that and she is the blonde blue-eyed fair-skinned latina woman you never know she speaks fluent spanish by looking at her um she likes it that way on her mother's side of family was from a small town in Spain. Her father's side is from Puerto Rico. So she has plenty of stories, I can imagine. A University of Florida graduate with a degree in broadcast journalism. Became a news anchor right after college at NBC in Monroe, Louisiana. And that was an interesting two years. I can imagine. I've been there. so. <laughs> um, but yes, welcome to the show. I know we got a lot more to your bio. But yeah, we want to talk more about face of a feminism and everything you do. Welcome to the show, Laura Diaz. Thank you, Angelique. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So talk why you created face of a feminist. Um, you know, I've been a feminist as long as I can remember, like even as a little girl before I knew that concept of sort of gender equality, I always felt like things were just so unfair. Uh, between me and my sisters versus the way my brother was sort of treated. And I just always felt this, you know, social justice that wasn't happening. And so even as a kid, I felt it. And then as I got older, obviously, I realized that there's a word for it. And it's feminism, which is just basically the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. And at first, you know, growing up and, and becoming a young woman and in college and things, I was very, you know, into it and, you know, National Organization for Women member. And, uh, you know, I was just like very sort of fanatical about it. And now that I'm a, an older woman with two children and I'm married, it was just kind of like, okay, there is a definite way to sort of be um, an advocate for feminism and explain it to other people who don't understand it without maybe being so in your face. And so I think that's why I wanted to start it is because I realized that all these years of being so fanatical about it um, wasn't helping anything. And so I realized I had to change the way I was approaching it in order to make any real change. In other words, I had to soften the blow, soften the stance, and make it more of what it actually is, which is just gender equality. And who in the world wouldn't want that? You know, so somewhere along the way, feminism has gotten this terrible stigma. I mean, when you think of a feminist, you think of a you know woman burning her bra on the street. You think it's an angry woman who hates men. You think it's a woman who, you know, doesn't shave her armpits. And there's all these like terrible sort of... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like this negative connotation. And that's just not at all what it is. While there may be that woman, that's just not what it is as a whole, as a movement. It's just a beautiful thing where I think men and women should have the same opportunities, rights, and, and everything else. And I don't think there are a lot of people who would disagree with that. And so I think there are a lot of people who are feminists and just don't even know it. I think they just go by different words because... You know, 10 years ago, I heard the word feminist and I took exactly what you said. I had Hollywood's definition of feminist in my mind, which was 
not quite that pleasant. And again, grown up, gotten older, learned a lot, uh, met a lot more people, been to a lot more conventions, and it's it's it was twisted is the best way to put it. Hmm. Yeah. No. And that's why I, you know, I started this charity, basically an empowerment. Um, nonprofit where I'm able to do these videos. I, I go all around Central Florida. I interview strong women who've overcome something, and can and let another woman sort of relate to her in their in the interview that I do with them. And then of course I air it on social media and stuff. So that helps other women become empowered. But I think face of a feminist. The title for that is because I'm showing the different faces of so many different walks of life who identify as a feminist. And so for example, I had a Trump supporter on one of my videos. And she's like, you know, why can't I be a feminist? You know, and it was just like so profound to me. Like, of course she can. Like, of course a Republican Trump supporter can be a feminist if she identifies with equality of the sexes, you know. And so I think when you really start to show all the different people that support it and obviously get it, I think you start to realize that it's not this big, ugly thing, anti-man-hating organization (laughs) that some people think it is, you know? It it is. You put it so elegantly how to explain feminism, that that it is not the stereotype. And you did such a phenomenal job putting together the talent show with all these awesome women from various different talents from a stripper to you know poetry storytelling it's just a great way to really educate the public that there's more than one way to explain on being a feminist right yeah no the talent show is like something i was really proud of because um you know you think of a pole dancer and a burlesque dancer um, who was basically wearing almost no clothes. And you think in your head, you think, oh, my gosh, you know, you think of these terrible terms like slutty or, you know what I mean? You know, like promiscuous and all these awful things. But then when you put it in the context of an all-female talent show, you're like, oh, wow, this is art. And then in that context, you think this is a beautiful thing. She's an empowered woman. She's liberated. So I think it's important to, like, take different you know, things that we have stuck in our heads and take them out of their regular sort of atmosphere and put them in other things. And then you see it in a completely different way. And so like my next event, and of course, all these events raise money, which I then donate to other female based charities. So I just gave like a really big check to Harbor House, for example, which really empowers women. Yeah, you know, so um, I just think it's really important to um, sort of just let people see women in different connotations in different contexts so and for our listeners who are not familiarized with harbor house it is the local domestic women's shelter that does take care of women children and i think they also did pets didn't they open that all recently yeah um it's it's just one of the many domestic violence emergency shelters in the state of florida um and this one happens to be one in one of our orange county in orange county um, but it's it's one of the more well-known ones. Um, they take pets, they take men and women and children. So I just think it's a wonderful organization that, yeah, when you find yourself needing to leave a domestic violence situation, a lot of women um, don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any money. They don't have a job. They don't have, because the abuser typically um, puts you in a situation where you don't have access to those things. So this charity is just wonderful. They have a place to go and a safe in a safe space. Yeah, and that that's a good point that you mentioned that they also take men. It's like we just automatically think that women are the only ones that get domestically abused and not men. And I'm like, yeah, that that that's kind of a challenge there because that also kind of affects the whole, you know, even sexual assault that men also get assaulted too. It's not just women. Yeah. Yeah. And that's funny um, about feminism, too, is, again, another another part of the word that I'm trying um, to publicly change is that it doesn't mean just pro-woman. You know, it's not just empowering. My particular charity is happens to my, you know, slogan is empowering women and girls. But that's just my charity. It doesn't mean that feminism doesn't also empower men. Like, I truly believe that because of feminism, Terry Crews, the actor, was able to come out and be vocal about how he felt sexually, you know, assaulted by that agent. And, you know, things like that, I I truly believe that it's because of feminism. We're saying that men and women should be equal in every facet. So 
that means that men should be allowed to be intimidated under a sexual harassment situation, just like women do. You know, men should be able to cry. Men should be able to be emotional and sensitive and all the things that, you know, we're able to do and not get made fun of for. So why shouldn't a man? I was, and I won't want to say excited to hear Terry Crews come out, but when he came out and uh, again, pitcher, he's the old spice guy. Um, one of the manliest men out there to come out and say this, it, it, it kind of desensitizes it that, you know, anyone can come out. It doesn't make you less of a man. All those, uh, preconceived notions that we have about, you know, a man coming out of sexually abused, oh, just man up, uh, are, are false. Right. Right. And he is inspiring Absolutely. for doing that. But in the last, what is it? Two months now. We have seen um, so many people getting accused of the sexual abuse, and how many of them are men, and how many of them are are underaged, is what's right. truly amazing in Hollywood. And it's been quiet for so many years. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing happening in our society right now. I, I always say, like when I'm doing speeches, I'm like, it's a wonderful time to be alive. It's a wonderful time to to be, and particularly a woman who has felt you know, sort of silenced for a long time. I personally, I have felt, I wouldn't say oppressed because that, that makes it sound like, Oh, you know, I'm some victim. Woe is me. So that's not the right term, but I really can't think of another one. I guess silence doesn't do the trick either. I've just felt disenfranchised. Maybe it's a better word where I've had a story. I've wanted to tell it. I've wanted to help other women, but at the same time you feel intimidated to share the story because you know, the judgments that will certainly follow um, you know, a woman who's been raped, for example, it's, there are immediate questions that come after that someone shares that kind of a really vulnerable story. And some of those questions are, you know, what was the circumstance surrounding it? Did you know your attacker? There are these certain questions that maybe are, are innocent from the person asking, but to the victim or the survivor, rather, it, they feel very accusatory. They feel very like, well, tell me just how bad it was, you know, like as if, someone who was date raped isn't as bad as the next person because it, she knew the person. So there are certainly like certain things in society that have just been the way they were for a long time. And now all of a sudden, really just 2017, it just feels like that's changing. It feels like when I come out and share my story of sexual assault, no one is trying to find out the minute details to see whether they're going to feel bad for me or not. You know, and that's a big, that's a big, beautiful shift. I think that's happening. Oh, absolutely. Because it does get the conversation going and it also makes it a little bit easier. I'm not saying completely easier for a survivor to come out and tell their story and say, this is what happened and not be afraid to be judged, but know that there's a support person out there, a group or team, you know, because they're not alone. And that is yeah. huge. Exactly. No, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. And I know that every time another woman comes out and uh, feels at least like she's somewhat being believed instead of being shamed, like was like what was basically happening for decades and decades, a woman comes out, she's instantly discredited, um, typically by more powerful males, you know, whether it's her reputation or whatever else that gets thrown out there to discredit her. Um, and then, and then of course her life is then ruined because now she just looks like this woman who is, some um, hussy and, you know, she couldn't take it. Why was she in his hotel room in the first place? It's very much like victim shaming for decades and decades. What was she wearing? Was she drinking? You know, there's all these things that we have been able to justify these terrible acts, especially by powerful men in Hollywood, obviously, uh, right now is what we're saying, but it's like, We've been justifying it and excusing it away for so long that now what we're seeing is society finally believing women. And that's really like one of the biggest changes that I'm seeing is when, a, when an accuser comes out with a story, it's instead of being instantly met with skepticism, it's instantly being met with belief. And that's wonderful. I mean, and then you can, of course, you know, if facts are facts, when they come out, that's fine, you know keep in mind no one has really been going to jail so, <laughs> not, not yet it's not just like starting the, right 
And it's like no one's really throwing people in jail left and right. So I think it's really cool that just the the stories that are coming out, even like Mario Batali, like the most recent one, the chef, he came out and he was like, um, I don't know these four women who came forward because they're anonymous. They didn't want to be named. He goes, but that sounds like something I would do. And I'm like, wow, you know, like these accusers are coming out and they don't even need to go to court because these people are coming out and admitting it. Well, I think it's going to take time, uh, definitely for the court case to go through, but the laws need to change. Cause I know in certain States they have what I consider very short, um, Oh, what's it called? Uh, the pro- statue time. Of yes. Statue of limitations, yeah. especially out in California that I think out there, they said it was either seven or 10 years um even for child molestation it was, it was something ridiculous i'm not going to quote it exactly but again sometimes being your careers on the line for that people stay in and hide this stuff for years and then it comes out and i mean right now you're seeing uh obviously al franklin stepped down and we got interesting news at least uh uh Moore is no longer going to be the senator uh lost the election yesterday but he's in, still fighting right. it because it was so short and margarine and God is going to make this happen. And I'm like thinking, really? It's like, you're the same guy who said that America was great when it had slavery. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I mean, I, like my husband and I were talking and we're like, um, it's not, is it really like that big of a victory that, you know, someone who's been accused of child molestation is was almost one like even though he didn't he almost did <laughs> we're like i don't know that that's a huge victory but we'll take what we can get i guess well if we if he had one it would have just been an embarrassment even more than the uh transgender issue earlier this year up in north carolina right with right. the bathroom no, thing absolutely. it would just be an embarrassment and and then i know also uh, it was earlier this year earlier uh end of last year that um, I guess the international tra- there was a, basically a travel warning for North Carolina because of these laws yeah. they oh, were yeah. passing. And mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at America being looked at internationally and being how it, points of being embarrassing, that's pretty much the one that stands out to me. <laughs> right. So such right. a shame. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, the whole thing is, it's like, it's great that women and adults are being believed, but we still need to figure out how to make it for children. How could they, you know, be automatically believed and not judged on? Because I remember when I was going through my daughter's um, healing process at the uh, Children's Advocacy, there was a grandmother who was yelling at a seven-year-old daughter or granddaughter saying, look, the way you dress is the way, that's why you've been abused, you seduced the guy. And I'm like... It's a seven-year-old child. It's 110 degrees in Florida. Of course she's going to wear tank tops and the shorts. How is she seducing a grown man? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a whole... I mean, that's clearly child abuse at at best. So, I mean, someone talking to their child like that after they've gone through something like that. I mean, the entire idea of... um, So, like, obviously there's something called statutory rape, which is essentially... Um, the law's way of getting a rapist, even if they can't necessarily prove, you know, like, so for example, um, statutory rape, in my case, I was 12. And so the guy got charged with that. And it's basically, if you're a, a not, if you're an adult and the victim is a minor, it's rape in, in the eyes of the law. And that is a way to like protect children because in the eyes of the law, a child, a minor cannot make cannot make decisions, um, you know, well enough to be able to give consent. And so the law says if you're a minor and you have, and you're an adult and you have sex with a minor, that is rape because a child cannot give proper consent. And so I appreciate the law for that so much, you know, because it's true. A 12 year old cannot properly give consent. They don't know what they're you know, necessarily saying. They don't know the ramifications of sex and everything else. But at the same time, like, Sometimes I feel like people take statutory rape and make it like, oh, well, it wasn't as big of a deal or it's not that big of a deal, too. So I think it's important to just sort of explain to the like just to society in general that 
any minor who is in any kind of situation with an adult and there's a rape charge, you guys have to like believe the children. Like you're saying, Angelique, like believe that it's when you're a child, you cannot make a consensual decision to have sex. It's way too big of a decision and you're way too undeveloped and, uh, you know, especially mentally and emotionally. And so I think society needs to certainly change their views, but it's happening. I see it happening. Um, you know, statutory rape, date rape, all of these things are becoming less negatively viewed. Like, remember when date rape was just kind of like something that was almost joked away? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was, I'm like, seriously, rape is rape. It's not, you know, locker room talk. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, she wanted, it's like, no, it's not acceptable. And I think right now, another good case that's going on is Cynthia Brown. Um, she was a girl that was being sex trafficked and she, um, murdered her, the guy who was doing it, whoever, and she got a harsher sentence because she killed the guy versus Brock Turner, who was just a rapist, a serious rapist. I'm like, why is it different? Just because she was African-American, because she was in, as a sex worker per se, because she was you being, you know, sex traffic, you know, the laws have to change on that. It, it's just really gets me burning up when, when people just confuse sex trafficking and sex workers and human trafficking as all one same bad crime, I guess. Well, right. It's... No, it's terrible what's happening with um, human trafficking and prostitution because the police, you know, don't know whether you're being human trafficked or not. So if they see someone on the street prostituting and they pick you up, they don't they don't know that maybe you were taken at sort of like 13, 14, and now you're 18 or whatever it is that, that you were basically groomed to be this. Um, it's a terrible situation, and it's just it's very confusing, and it's very convoluted, and I think people just have the wrong we're taking the wrong approach completely to it for sure because we're criminalizing prostitutes when most of the time like they were put in that position by traffickers is what we're seeing now yeah and it's like that position but there's also sex workers who consensually do this and we in the united states are the only ones who do not recognize sex work as labor so that's why here in the United States we have it differently that it's sex trafficking and labor laws in human trafficking. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, and if it were if it were decriminalized, if it were legal, you know, a lot of these girls who don't want to be in that situation could get out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, because they could easily go and be like to someone or whatever and, and, you know, claim that they don't want to be in that situation anymore. And instead of getting locked up, they would get the help they need. Absolutely. You know, I kind of compare it to uh, Colorado and a few other places that have started legalizing it. I read an article a few months ago on the impact this has actually done to illegal drugs coming into the country. And it's actually decreased it. Again, violence has gone down as far as along the Mexican border. Because there's no longer that profitable need to import it. It's controlled. And once you once you kill the need, a lot of the illegal stuff kind of went away. Well, going away. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not gone away. It's still there. But um, definitely by making something illegal, I always think it's like putting a cookie up in a jar and putting it on a high shelf and then telling your child, that's not for you, don't touch it. Because that's right, all they can right. think about then is the cookie on the shelf. Right. No, definitely. No doubt about that. So having your two little ones there, how are you raising them differently now that you've been so active with the feminism movement and everything? Um, You know, I basically just try as like a rule of thumb to not treat them differently Um, Even for someone like me, you know, a big advocate on things like this, it's hard. You know, I was raised completely differently than my brother. 
And um, I witnessed, you know, a time when men and women are treated very differently, even if it's just something as simple as we were told from, you know, birth to to now that, you know, girls like pink, boys like blue, girls wear dresses, boys wear this, boys have short hair, girls have long hair, you know, just little things like that that are that are differences that by the time you become an adult are just ingrained in you. Um, And so when I became an adult, it was like, and I had a baby, it was just like, oh my goodness, it was really hard for me to not want to put her in pink. It was really hard for me to not want to, you know, make her this cute little princess. And um, I still struggle almost every day with it, where it's like, I'm so inclined to want her to to be Cinderella. I'm so inclined to want to push her to um, all the cute girly shows with the Barbies and this and that, but that's because it's in me. So I have to forcibly not do that. Like I have to force myself to not push anything on her and be okay with the fact that she loves dinosaurs and trucks and dirt and, you know, things that I'm just like, Oh my gosh, that's my perfect little princess. And she's so dirty from head to toe. But while her two year old brother is dirty from head to toe, that doesn't bother me one bit, you know? So little things, you know, I just have to catch myself every single day on little things that I would normally separate them by doing or parenting and I have to not do that and that's the only way I feel like she will grow up feeling like they're both equal and it's funny because I have a friend raising uh two little ones again the 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 son's the younger one and he'll do the opposite of well she gets to wear makeup why don't I get to put it on or why don't I get the pretty dress Mm -hmm. and you kind of no it's actually yeah, no, I have, my son is younger. He's two and my daughter's four and he really loves pink. And like, it's, he loves it. I mean, he loves pink. And, and so he wants to wear pink clothes. He, he So we got him like this pink, um, you know, light up um, little like power wheel or whatever. That's what he wanted. And so we got it for him and it was really hard. <laughs> like, it was really hard. for me. It's still hard for me to watch him on it riding around our neighborhood because I feel like people are looking at me and judging me. Well, I think it's also because of your Latina background, because I know it's thoroughly ingrained because I'm Mexican and I know it's like boys are this way, girls are that way. And there's no changing it. And it's like, but society's changing. The world's changing. Why can't we uh, have that happen? You know? So I, I feel your oh, pain. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, the Latina thing was huge for me. I mean, my grandmother was just very old school, and, and it is. It's true that I don't know about any other cultures because I'm not any other culture, but in mine, it was just very much like the women, after you eat, they get up, they clean the kitchen. You know, we cooked, we cleaned, and, like, there were, it was just that's just the way it is. And so I'm growing up in this family trying to shake things up, and everyone just thought I was just this problem child. You know, because I just didn't find I didn't find that to be fair and it didn't make sense to me. And I didn't understand why my brother just got to sit on the couch, you know, and scratch his balls while I'm over there in the kitchen, like cleaning his plate. You know, it just never made sense to me. No, but um, I grew up in an Italian family and it it, the longer I'm married, the more I realize Italian, Greek and Latino, they're all the same family structure. The oh, women yeah, totally. all did that. The men went and played cards and then fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And it's like Thanksgiving or something, you know, you'll be like, oh, someone cooks and, and then someone else cleans. I was like, no, in my family, we cooked and we cleaned. Like, there was just no fairness to it whatsoever. And I would just look around and be like, this is such BS, you know? Like, this this just doesn't make any sense. And I would just look at my mom and my sisters and be like, why are we doing this? Like, don't we have free will? Can't we just not do this? And, like, to them it was just insane to think that. And now that I'm sort of doing, trying to work on my uh, movement and, you know, sort of dispel the rumors about feminism, I'm realizing that sometimes it's like, sometimes you just have to, like, tell women give them permission to stop like they need to be invited to stop doing it and until they are it doesn't even occur to them that you just don't have to do that like you can just choose to stop doing it so many people do stuff out of habit 
and it works both ways whether we're treating our kids different or it's cleaning up the dishes after someone or you know just walking up after dinner and leaving the table with the food on it and just sitting down and expecting it to be done it is so ingrained to us year after year that changing it, it it's one of those we need to i hate to say to stifle that knee-jerk reaction when someone says well have you tried of doing something different and you hear it and your first reaction is but i've been doing this way my whole life <laughs> yeah and it's an inconvenience you know nobody likes change nobody likes having to challenge themselves every day like really like it's hard enough for us all to get up to our alarm clocks and go deal with rush hour and pay our bills and all these other things that the minutia of life that's hard enough and now you're going to ask me to challenge myself every day to be something more like that's a really big request so it's it's understandable that it's taking a long time, but what's not understandable is now that we're all kind of becoming enlightened, what's not understandable to me is people who are resisting that. Like, I get that it's taken us a long time to get here, but now that we're here, the least you can do is not get in the way of the progress. Like, if you don't agree with it, step out of the way and continue with your ways and your traditions and your family, but don't try and stop me and what I'm trying to do to better the future for my children. Yeah, definitely. Because that also sounds like, you know, since you also are a mental health advocate, that it, it falls under that category of changing. And how do you change? Because people still regard mental illness as a taboo topic to talk about. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Mental illness. It's funny because mental illness for me and, and sort of sexual abuse um, are kind of like very similar to me in the sense that it's taken a long time for society to talk about it. It's still very taboo. It's still very much like brushed under the rug, um, just like sexual assault and things like that. It's brushed under the rug. Oh, what were you wearing? This and that. You know, it's always victim blaming. Same with mental health. In my experience, it's been like, oh, are you really depressed or are you just having a bad day? You know, like it's like always just been excused away um, so much my whole life until to the point where I was recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I was just like, it sort of just like took me by surprise because, and then like you look back on the Rolodex of your life and you're like, holy crap, this is definitely what it was all along. But because people have just been excusing it and just kind of not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to deal with it, you know, um, you just didn't ever realize or get the proper medication my whole life until now. So it's just like, if only, you know, if only we had been more open and more tolerant of the fact that our family has a very strong genetic link to bipolar disorder like why couldn't we all just accept that like mm -hmm. maybe we all would have been so much better off you know my father has like a very severe form of it um and so it's of course I had it I don't know why you know my Latina family didn't want to discuss it but it's just it's it's a good thing I think we're starting to get there with mental health as well it's all starting to change all together Oh, yeah. No, I totally understand and can relate because when my daughter was, you know, when we found out, my mom was like, we put it in a closet. We don't talk about it. I'm like, no, we have to talk about it. We have to get her therapy and help in regards to it because I know the first day I went to the child advocacy office and I said, how quickly can we get her into therapy? They looked at me like I was a three-headed dragon because I was asking for mental help. And I'm like, she, she's been traumatized. I've been traumatized. Come on. Th this is just makes sense. But I was one of those rare cases that actually believed in the healing process. And it's, it, it's something not to be ashamed of. And I'm happy that more conversations are coming along. More people are able to say, okay, this is healthy. This is normal. And trying to destigmatize, you know, therapy as, a taboo. Well, you know, Angelique, we talked um, when I had you on my podcast, which hasn't even started airing yet, which, by the way, I lost all the audio, so we're going to need to redo that one day. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that's for another night. Um, yeah, I was like crying. I was literally crying because I felt like it was such a great interview. But anyway, whatever. Um, it was. So anyway, we were talking. 
Can you believe that? I know. And I feel like I wasted your time. You came all the way to my house. I'm so sorry, but I'm a, no, I'm a novice at this. No, no, no. But it, it, it kind of works out. I'm very happy because even I came back and I, I was talking with John and I was like, shit, I should have took the GoPro because it was so much fun to like videotape that interview. Just the way the dialogue was following with all th- all four of us. I, I thought it was fantastic. But no, God, it, it happened for a reason. Just it, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. It happened for a reason. Whenever I don't like how something went, I just say that and then I feel bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really I don't really know the validity to that, but we're going to go with that. But no, we were talking um, about how I'm very like sexually inhibited. Like I'm not like real adventurous. I'm real just vanilla run of the mill. And, and it's just not like a real interesting thing for me. You know, like I, I think we were talking on my podcast about that. I was just like, it just doesn't. I, I know where I want to go, obviously. I And I was telling you that I feel like I don't understand why people get so adventurous in the bedroom because we're all getting to the same place at the end. Like, I'm, I'm more like, I want to take the straight line. I don't want to go all over the place. And, and I think it's definitely because I, I just don't have a healthy relationship with sex because of my first experience in life was so awful. Mm-hmm. So if only I had had therapy and if only I had had the proper you know mental sort of growth that should have happened after that happened I think it might have been different I don't know if it would have but it might have you know but I'll never know because I had to make my own decisions about sex right then and there when I was 12 years old and I've never been able to change them since you know, through therapy. So because of that lack of talking and healing and all these things, I have such an unhealthy relationship with sex. And I do look at people like you and John and I'm just like, wow, what is that like? You know, what is that like to not have that, you know, complete armor around your soul like that? You know, like, I don't know. I have no idea. It's like a completely different world to me. Well, we, we all have our, uh, our demons. And it's, it's really funny because uh, I actually teach college. I'm always in front of a class. I do the show. Um, but I would still consider myself an introvert. And what I mean is when I go ahead and go out to do stuff, it is energy draining to me. So I can prepare. I can do it. I can say, all right, I'm going to go out and get in front of a crowd of a few hundred people and get up on stage and do all this stuff. And after a couple hours, I'm like, okay, show me to the room get me out, get me, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, what's really funny is Angelique's the opposite. That is fuel to her. You get her up in front of that crowd and they respond. As long as the crowd keeps responding, she'll be there continually. And this is kind of where we've had to uh, uh, differ and figure out how a relationship works. And she's had to learn to go ahead and just let me step back when I need to because pulling me back out in front of everyone is really not the best thing for me. So we all have the things we're inhibited about. It's just sex happens to be one of the things neither one of us are very inhibited about. But uh, everyone's got something. Right. But also it goes to how are you healing it and how are you growing? I mean, that's why I was very adamant of putting my daughter into therapy right away because I did not want her to be disgusted or afraid with sex i wanted her to explore enjoy and it it, it's there's not a deadline it it, as i was telling you on your podcast i mean there have been 70 year old you know couples come in like have their first orgasm at 70 i was like ah come on but it's possible to just learn and heal and it's just work on your own pace you know this is something not to be ashamed of but just to be happy that you do believe that you have a healthy relationship and be willing to explore and try new things it's like you know as i was explaining it's like it's like food you know sex is like it's you know baskin robbins there's 31 different flavors out there why don't you just sample it try it if you like it great if not okay at least you said you do it i mean we do it with our own kids when we try to have them explore new things whether it's like food theater activities something just to expand their horizons and knowledge it's that's all it is right yeah i know i I, you know one of these days i'm gonna i want to get into some kind of therapy and all that but you know i think it's like at some i think as we get older you just get it like stuck in your ways and 
you know, oh, I'm fine the way it is. You know, we we have our sex once in a blue moon and it's great. And, and then, we, you know, we clock out until the next time. And that's just, it. you know, and it's just kind of our routine now, you know. So, I mean, there's also something to be said, I guess, about, um, about just kind of knowing yourself as well. And like maybe, you know, maybe just being vanilla is just who I am. I don't, I don't even know, but maybe it just is. And there's nothing wrong with that. And as long as you have a healthy sexual life, that's perfectly fine. I tell a lot of my clients, it's like, whatever is normal for you it does not define the rest of the world because at least you're confident, you're satisfied. That's perfectly fine, you know, because a lot of people just judge, well, you're not doing this. You haven't tried that. And it's like, so what's the point? You know, I'm happy. My partner's happy. We're very successful in what we do. And I think that's no, the big one. No, it's so one. true, actually. Yeah. Well, a lot of sex feeds into relationships. And whether you're having it multiple times a day or you're doing it every three months, if you're in a happy relationship and it's working for everyone, there's nothing to be fixed. You're happy. The way you, you're, right. you're there. Yeah. No, John, it's funny because I was like, you know, um, you know what I what really bothers me and you guys would probably appreciate this because you're, you know, in the sex sort of educating business. But um, I find it so irritating when like these lists come out, whether it's on Cosmo or whatever website, you know, and then it gets disseminated on, of course, shows like mine. Um, but yeah, it, the list will come out like, you know, how many times a week are you having sex? And, you know, research shows less than less than twice a week and, you know, whatever, you die early or something ridiculous. And I hate those lists because it's like it puts so much pressure on married couples to feel like it makes at least me feel like, oh, well, we're not having enough sex. Like, what's wrong with us? But everyone else who's married is having so much more sex than us. And it's just like, I hate that. And like what you guys are saying, Angelique and John, that you're just like, um, if you're in a healthy, happy relationship, it's fine. Whatever you're doing sexually is fine. It's funny because in all the, the genders we talk about, again, male, female, transgender, whatever in between, that one of the other choices is asexual. And if that is who you are and you don't want to have sex, sure as hell you should never be forced to. Just be right. who you are. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not asexual. So <laughs> that wasn't a suggestion. <laughs> Just a global out there. <laughs> no, there there have been a few dry spells where I thought maybe I was, but no, that was just a coincidence. <laughs> but no, I mean it's it's true, and I found a partner in life who um, is is completely on the same page with me sexually. We're both nice and vanilla, and. And we're both very happy with that. So, and it's funny because I wonder sometimes in retrospective life, like, did I sort of become more attracted to him as my husband, like husband material because we were so, because he was so like not ambitious in the bedroom (laughs) or was it just a coincidence? And, you know, that's why we gelled. Like, I don't know if I sought that out or if it was just a coincidence, but you know, Either way, it's kind of like, who cares what led me to this? Now we're fine and we're good and it's all good. (laughs) But you have two beautiful children and you have your little mini me there. So that's fantastic. Yeah, no, we've got the best kids and, you know, it's good. I mean, I feel like we're raising them and in a healthy way. I'm also like very good with, you know, talking to my kids about the correct anatomically correct parts. You know, I, I know that's very important to raise your kids, like knowing that this is your vagina. These are your, you know, boobs. I'll tell my, my daughter like those are your, those are going to be your boobs. These are your nipples. And I'll tell my son, this is your penis. And I just think that's important because when I was growing up, um, they were like little like you know flower names and like it was just like it was just the most ridiculous thing of what my mom trying to teach me about what parts were she wouldn't even say the word vagina and like it was just so ridiculous like I grew up not knowing anything about the reproductive cycle like system in my body I didn't know anything about a period one day I just started (laughs) bleeding and I had no idea why like it was just like, 
such a total crapshoot in my house. And she had three girls. Oh, my and God. And none of us knew what was going on. <laughs> it was like... So, you know, I mean, it's, I'm very much not trying to do that to my, to my, both my kids, my, my boy and my girl. Like, I want them to know there's going to be certain things you should be expecting soon, you know? And I already noticed, like, my two-year-old is starting to, like, obviously discover himself down there. And I'm like, all right, let's just not freak out about this. This is normal. Yeah, you definitely need to watch Big Mouth on uh, Netflix. You'll have so much fun. Oh, I've already watched the whole season. (laughs) Isn't it awesome? The way they just explain everything. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Like, it's it's great. We were discussing about uh, uh, Big Mouth, and and Angelique suggested that, oh, you know, maybe, you know, this would help certain kids. I'm like, no, 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 no. This, every parent before their kid turns two needs to watch this and remember what it was like going through to motivate them to go ahead and say, my kid's not going through the the hormone monster blindly like this. (laughs) And at least give them some information. That show, like after I watched that show, my husband and I were both like, oh my gosh, like they should play this show in schools." Like, as vulgar as it was, like, this is wonderful, you know? It's a wonderful educational show to, you know, explain what's going on. Absolutely, and it's so funny. It kind of uh, disarms that you're talking about sex with, well, puberty at that time and how difficult it all Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, no, it's it's the coolest show because it, it for me, like I learn more about the reproductive system and big mouth than I probably have in my whole life. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but women, honestly, and here's the crazy thing. It's actually the norm that women don't really know about their parts. Um, and, and I know probably Angelique's like, no, that's impossible. I'm like, no, I'm telling you. No, 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 no. Like, no. I didn't. Yeah. I totally fully yeah, no, believe I, that. Yeah, I didn't know what a, you know, clitoris was. I didn't know um, anything until probably I got pregnant with my first child. Wow. Wow. And, you know, it, it's not yep. surprising because I do know a lot of people that like that, that they don't know anything. And it's just... Yeah, that's a whole different topic there because then I could go into the abortion clinics and the right to life people and all that because it's like if you teach the kids at a young age about the reproductive system, how to protect themselves, we wouldn't have so much teen pregnancies, we wouldn't have abortions, we wouldn't have STDs and STIs. (sighs) So, yeah. No, I agree with you 100% there that if you just know what it is, it's a totally different you take away that you take away that big scary like monster about it all and you know i i had an or i've had orgasms but i didn't have one until i was 21 and um you know i was sexually active before then and i was just like wow i don't understand why i had an orgasm like it just it happened but it was like an accident i didn't like i was telling you i didn't know all the anatomy of my you know, mm-hmm. vagina area. I was just like, okay, I don't know why that happened. It was just, it's crazy when I look back now. I'm like, I will never let my daughter be completely in the dark like I was. No, that's that is a great step right there because you're just like, nope. You know, you're you're not being like this. It's like, and and that's great. Education, knowledge is power. You know, we we will teach them knowledge and everything else except sex, sex and relationships. Nope, you can't. And I'm like, but it's changing. We're working on it. <laughs> it is, definitely. Yeah, you guys are working on that part, and I'll work on, you know, telling her that she's important enough and can do anything a man can do. <laughs> Hopefully we can change society to get to between the three of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a big task. I'm willing to take it on. Well, no, <laughs> I, I, I could see her daughter because she talks, uh, as, as I forgot to mention, um, Laura Diaz is a celebrity uh, radio personality on our local station, XL1067. So you could hear her in the morning on Johnny's house. But she's always has conversations about her, her kids. And I know she talked about the upcoming recital and how she kept saying that she's four and a half years old. And I'm like, yep, that's mini Laura right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's she's definitely going to be so much 
better than me you know like whatever version of me she is it's going to be like a way new and improved version that's really cool to see in your kids you know if you try to do the best you can and it's really nice to see when your kids are like getting it a little bit more than you did or or figuring things out a little bit better or healthier than you did so that's all we can do is raise our kids the best we can and hope that you know bad bad stuff doesn't happen to them you know I think that should be every parent's goal, that our kids have it a little easier and go a little further and know a little more than we do. We just prepare them the best Mm -hmm. we can, send them out into the world, and keep our fingers crossed. Yep, that's all we can do. Well, thank you for being on the show. How could everyone reach you? Um, So um, I'm on Facebook, and it's at Face of a Feminist, and Instagram, Face of a Feminist. And I'm on, I have a YouTube channel, um, Face of a Feminist. And, um, you know, faceofafeminist.gmail is my um, email address. So it's all very much continuous. Also, my website is faceofafeminist.com. And um, we're going to be eventually putting the podcast on that website. And um, you can see my, my videos that I've done. All of them are on the website. You can also shop for, like, feminist T-shirts and cool stuff like that on the website. Yes, definitely check it out. I love the latest video there that's like, why am I doing this again? It's like, why am I here? It's just, it's awesome, those videos. So definitely check them out. Uh, We'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, The Woodshed and Kink Crate subscription box. Always go to our website at livingasexpositivelife.com where you can find me and everywhere on social media. Please remember that we cannot advertise anywhere on social media, so visiting our sponsors, purchasing from them, um, spreading the word by subscribing to our podcast and reviewing is the best way that we could continue doing the fine work that we're doing because, again, we talk about sex education, fun, sexy stuff, but yet social media says we're sex workers. We're like, we're not. Well, there's a new uh, thing that just happened that um, lots of people make money on YouTube They've actually reduced what they're paying sex educators as opposed to other people, which is really interesting because it seems like views are views, but they're definitely discriminating. But anyway, if you want to reach me or talk more about the uh, faulty uh, methods of YouTube, uh, I am John C. Luna on Facebook and Twitter and FetLife and Instagram, and I I think I got everything. Yeah, you did. Wonderful. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Goodbye.